Carol Strickland. I have been fascinated with the unknown and paranormal realms since childhood. After a profound experience with my grandmother's spirit 20 years ago, I have been on a quest to observe, study, investigate, and communicate with the afterlife and beyond. It's been an ongoing journey of exploration and discovery, one that has taught me how mortality and the spirit world are forever bonded through the veils of time. because this intro is new. So, you know, sorry about that. But welcome to another episode of the Afterlife Chronicles here on the WLTKDB network. Of course, I'm your host, Nicole Strickland. Glad to be back. I've been off for a couple of weeks. So here we are. And I thought tonight I would do a little bit. It's a part two. I actually named this, I think, Ghost Story. So I renamed it Case Files from the San Diego Paranormal Research Society. So we're going to talk a little bit about four locations tonight. Hopefully we'll get to all four of them. I always over plan and think I'm not going to have enough time. And then I, you know, we try to make it. So anyways, hope you're doing well on this Thursday night, the second episode in January. I can't believe tomorrow's already January 28th, the anniversary, of course, of the Challenger disaster that happened in 1986, uh, sadly. Uh, But I thought before Going into tonight's episode, uh, I thought that I would do a little bit, of course, housekeeping, and then I do want to talk briefly about the Queen Mary because we had some positive news come out today. So actually, you know what, let's start with the Queen Mary first. So a lot of people have been asking me, and again, I don't work for the ship at all. I'm a vendor because I have books sold on board, and of course, I'm a historian, and I've done a lot of research and that and so forth, but I don't work for the ship. But uh, a lot of people have been asking me since COVID and since she closed, you know, when is she going to reopen, if she's going to reopen. And I've always reassured people because the Queen Mary has gone through many obstacles in the past. She's always prevailed. She'll prevail again. She's going to have uh, give us many more lifetimes of, of greatness. Okay, so an article did come out today, uh, Los Angeles Times. Uh, actually, I have the wrong one queued up, but I'll, I'll summarize it. I, I meant to quote the uh, CBS, one of the CBS news outlets in, in, in Long Beach. So they are starting critical repairs on the ship in February. So spending that $5 million to start those critical repairs and uh, to prepare for plans of reopening later this year. So I don't know exactly what month the ship is going to reopen, but we do know that these repairs are starting and that the ship is planning to reopen this year. So uh, very, very excited about that. I've always told people, look, when I know, you'll know. So great, great, great news. Such an icon. She's a shining gem of Long Beach. So can't wait till I can get back on board. So wanted to make an announcement about that. Uh, Second of all, uh, I have a brand new website designed by Todd Bates, of course, station owner, right? And radio guru, you know, you know, Todd Bates, come on. So he designed the new website. It's a WordPress site. So get on over there at authornicolestrickland.com and take a look at it. I love it. It's fantastic. A lot of people are loving it. So amazing, amazing work, Todd. Thank you so much. 
And then, of course, after Kaylee's passing, I've been working on a very short, I would say short ebook. It's about 11,000 words. So I typically an ebook minimum, I guess, word count is around 10,000. So I just made the, the, I guess, the cut there. So it's about 11,000 words. It's going to be an ebook, of course. I'm going to offer it on my website for those uh, who want to read it and or download it completely free. Kaylee and Max, Two Remarkable Felines Forever Imprinted on My Heart is the title of that. So I'm very excited for that. And of course, you know, if you haven't followed the Afterlife Chronicles uh, here on Facebook, you can go ahead and do that at Afterlife Chronicles and beyond. Of course, follow WLTKBT. Jesus, I'm telling you two wires weren't connecting there, folks. WLTKDB, okay, anywhere on its socials, just with that, that those call letters there, WLTKDB, of course, the website, WLTKDB.com. And then if you'd like to be on uh, the Afterlife Chronicles, you know, go ahead and contact me on my, through Facebook, through Twitter, uh, on my website there, just hit the contact form, and uh, we'd love to have you. We have a lot of great guests coming on the show uh, in the future, um, as well as on uh, Haunted Voices Radio as well that I co-host with Todd Bates. So a lot of great guests coming up. So again, back to tonight's theme. Part two of the case files from the San Diego Paranormal Research Society. Now, what's funny is that you'd think that I would spend some time, right, uh, inputting the MP3 files, because I have some EVP and, and I think a couple ITC clips to play. You think that I would spend some time and send them off uh, to Todd so we can get them into StreamYard and get ready to play. But you know what? I didn't today. So I'm going to do the old fashioned, oops, put the phone to the mic and just pray that it works okay. It's worked in the past. So we'll see. So I do apologize if they can't be heard too well, but I will try my best. So, okay, about the San Diego Paranormal Research Society. Now, I've worked with a lot of different uh, paranormal teams uh, for for several years now, going on about 20 years. And I always have the desire to have my own team, so to speak. So that came to be in 2009. And uh, we've come a long way, you know, lots lots of work and lots of development and that sort of thing. We've come a long way, and uh, we primarily focus on ghost research. That's our specialty. So we obviously offer uh, case studies at private homes and in businesses and historical locations. We've uh, investigated many historical locations in California, of course, in San Diego. And then, of course, we like to present. I uh, offer, gosh, about 12 or 13 different presentation topics about the paranormal And we also offer classes as well for those that are interested in learning a little bit about ghost research and and paranormal investigation. So if you go on uh, my website, authornicolestrickland.com, and and go on the classes page, you can learn a little bit more about that. So it's a lot of fun. So uh, we've investigated, like I said, many, many historical locations in San Diego And we've actually, in the last few years, specifically right before COVID hit, because with COVID, we haven't really been as as active, of course, and with good reason, but we've investigated uh, some libraries, one of which is the Escondido Public Library. So those that are familiar with Escondido, so I live in central San Diego in an area called Tierra Santa. So Escondido is about 25 minutes north 
of San Diego. So just a hop, skip and a jump really from central San Diego. And so we've investigated, we've conducted two case studies at the Escondido Public Library. And then uh, my co-director and good friend, Ali Schreiber and I have also presented at the library as well. We'd, our first presentation was Haunted Escondido where we talked a lot about the history of Escondido and some of its uh, most haunted, most paranormally active sites, which was a lot of fun. It was a sold out event, so it was really great. I've also done uh, a lecture presentation on the Queen Mary. And then Allie and I uh, talked about the results of both of our investigations, uh, kind of like a, a public debrief, just talking about uh, the our experiences at the library during those case studies. And then we featured some evidence, some of which I'll share with you tonight. And then, of course, recently, I think it was uh, October 2nd, I debuted my Afterlife Chronicles presentation, which is, uh, it, it's, it comes from my upcoming book, The Afterlife Chronicles, Exploring the Connection Between Life, Death, and Beyond. That was supposed to be published winter of 2021, but of course with COVID, uh, it's a little bit backlogged. So it, it will be sometime this year, I think probably this spring uh, when that book will come out. So really looking forward to that. So Escondido Public Library, and with, with each location, I like to give a little bit of history before and, and, and facts before going into some of the paranormal claims, just because we know that history and the paranormal are uh, best friends with a dear kinship. You really can't have one without the other. So, uh, but I try not to spend too much time talking about the history because then we can't really get into a lot of the paranormal aspects as well. So it doesn't, I'm not trying to skimp on the history I just want to have time for both, if that makes sense. So Escondido Public Library, it's a pretty large library. And so when you think about Southern California during the Mexican Rancho period, there were all these land ranchos laying about, one of which was Juan Bautista Alvarado's land rancho. Okay, so a local judge by the name of Oliver S. Witherby obtained ownership of his rancho. And so in the 60, 1860s, I should say, he started uh, farming, he started gold mining, and then the Escondido Mining Company came about. Um, and I forgot to mention, Escondido means hidden in Spanish, which is, is interesting. So then as the land expanded and the years went on in the 1950s, there were a lot of vineyards. Those eventually became private homes. And then the city incorporated on uh, October 8th, 1888, with only 249 people. So the library started its service in 1894, okay? So in 1910, it grew and was built on the streets Calmia and 3rd Avenue. And then in December 1980, the building, the building moved to its current area where it is now. It's a two-story, 40,000-square-foot library, so it's pretty large. They also have a pioneer room, which opened in 1996 with the help of Francis Bevan Ryan. So like I said, we've done two case studies and four presentations there. Uh, I will say, though, that I'm, I'm mainly going to talk about some or share some of the clips from our first investigation, and there's a reason for this. Our second investigation, well, let me back up a little bit. So there was, uh, I believe it was 1996 or 1997, a, a, a local teenager volunteered at the library, won an award. She was a phenomenal, uh, sadly passed away tragically, okay, in the area. And so our second investigation, uh, I can't say 100%, but we may or may not have had some communication with her, with her or with her guides. So for that reason, I am 
not going to mention anything about the second investigation. It's completely confidential out of respect for her and her family. In fact, we didn't even put any sort of uh, potential evidence concerning her even in the case report. Because when you hand in a case report and it goes to the library, you can't keep track of exactly who may read that and who may, you know, talk. So out of respect for, you know, the family and her, we want to be as confidential as possible about that. So uh, again, I'm with, for obvious reasons, I'm not going to mention any names. You can probably Google it and find it yourself, but out of respect for her and her family, I'm going to keep that out. So uh, let's see, paranormal claims at the library. The libraries are, are great places, you know, a lot of human traffic, a lot of books are read. So when you think about it and you think about the amount of hands and, and that have touched these books and the books being checked out and going into uh, different homes and businesses throughout the years. And just some of the stories and some of the books, I mean, it all kind of caters to uh, a good foundation for, for paranormal activity. You know, a lot of places, you know, like even amusement parks and hospitals and places that have a lot of human traffic, typically you see, the parallel of ghostly activity. And so libraries are no exception. So apparitional sightings have been cited by staff and patrons, including Allie and I, down in the downstairs stacks. Uh, let's see, there have been a couple of deaths, not on the property, but one of the patrons actually passed away who used to visit the library uh, for many years. And he sadly uh, passed away just around the corner He's been spotted sitting in, in one of the chairs in the lobby area downstairs. Uh, a female uh, a ghostly figure in a, in a dress has been seen kind of meandering through the stacks. People have heard uh, like hands touching the books when no one is there. Uh, so lots of great, just lots of great experiences. Disembodied voices, sounds of books moving by themselves, books falling off the shelves. Footsteps upstairs when uh, there's no one upstairs and pretty much the only person in the, the building late at night is the security guard. So things like that. And so what's interesting about this library is, is it it's right next door to a crematorium. So you can <laughs> you can kind of, you know, form your own opinions about that. And it's not too far away from a, a local hospital, actually. So the children's room area is upstairs. And I had an interesting experience upstairs in that area the first time I went in. Well, I went in on the walkthrough, but the first time during the investigation. And when I stepped in, I felt as though something went right through me. It was a huge sense of coldness, a huge sense of like vertigo where I was kind of disoriented, but I felt as though something went right through me. And uh, we were having experiences that night of, of seeing shadow figures and, and, and having hearing audible responses to some of our questions, uh, one of which was, you know, are, are you connected to the library or are you here, uh, were you here prior to the library being built? And we, we had a response of uh, yes to the question, were you here uh, prior to the library being built. So a lot of intelligent sort of answers, um, some interesting EVP, some interesting what I call AVP or audible voice phenomena, which is like EVP, but it's heard at the time, um, not just heard upon playback. So uh, very interesting stuff. And then uh, let's see. So let me start off because I'm looking at the time here. You know what? I'm wondering if we can, because we're about three minutes prior to a break, 
So let's see here. I think we're going to break, but I have about four different audio files from the library. So let's go ahead and break now because I think that's a good time. And then when we come back, we can get right into the audio files from the Escondido Public Library. You are listening to the Afterlife Chronicles with, of course, Nicole Strickland on the WLTKDB network. We will be right back. Looking to launch your new masterpiece? Then try something new with Moonbow Publishing and Production. At Moonbow, we have a strong desire to serve authors in a powerful and meaningful way. After all, you poured your heart and soul into your writing and we fully understand and respect that. Remember this, you will own the copyright to your work. You will have the final say on your work before being published. Even after all of that, we've saved the best for last. We won't take a percentage sold. Nope, not a penny. Excited about MoonbowPublications.com yet? We thought so. Take advantage of our company's services like book editing, formatting, and covers, publishing, and photography. Moonbow Publishing and Productions has everything you are looking for in a company. Remember, we will not keep any commissions. We are a boutique publishing company focusing on spiritual, health and wellness, and personal growth genres. Moonbow Publications and Productions, a new kind of publishing company. Okay, 19 minutes past the hour. Of course, you're tuning back into the Afterlife Chronicles here on the WLTKDB network, WLTKDB.com. I'm your host, Nicole Strickland. Tonight is the second uh, episode in the series, uh, Case Files from the San Diego Paranormal Research Society. So I did a little bit of an introduction at the beginning, of course. If you missed the first part, it's going to be archived. That's great. Anywhere that uh, uh, episodes can be found on audio listening platforms, of course, uh, on Afterlife, our Podbean page, afterlifechronicles.podbean.com. So welcome back. And uh, so I want to get now into the uh, some of the audio files from the library here. So the first one I'm going to start out with actually occurred, uh, and this was an, a disembodied vocalization or an AVP, audible voice phenomenon, which was heard at the time and also captured on a recording device. So Allie, kind of as a employing, I guess, similar to like a Singapore theory where you're, you're trying to use trigger objects, trigger objects of that time period to uh, kind of help activity to manifest that sort of thing. That's what we were doing. And so Allie was reading an excerpt from a children's book and she talks about what she reads is talking about uh, the, the, the teeny tiny teacher blew her whistle. And what happened is that we heard a disembodied someone almost trying to whistle. It came out as like a breathy exhale. Now I had moved my chair, but you can tell that this was a noise that came from someone's mouth and it was nor her and not her and, and, and not me at all. And so the only three people that were in the building at the time were Allie and I upstairs and the librarian downstairs. And you can tell that this was very localized to the microphone. So I'll go ahead and play it. 
Hopefully it can be heard. The teeny tiny teacher blew her whistle. Was that you? That was me moving my chair. Did you go? No. Somebody did. Okay, so you can kind of hear that blowing. That was not us. And then you hear kind of a sound of her flipping the pages there. So that was interesting. Uh, more of a, what I would say, an intelligent sort of response. The second one occurred uh, downstairs when we were doing uh, the walkthrough, uh, just Allie and I, with two of the librarians. And we were, say, we were stating our names. And someone says something after uh, at first, I thought it was high, but it sounds like it's a female vocalization, and it almost sounds like someone's saying hi and then their name. So I'll go ahead and play that. Okay, so everybody just state your name for the recorder. My name is Katie Caperi. Monica Barrett. Nicole. And Allie. Okay. 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 So what you hear there is a female vocalization, almost sounding like hi and then a name. It almost sounds like it could possibly be hi, Karen, hi, something with a K. If you hear something different, let me know. I know my mom just chimed in and said loud and clear. Wow. So if she can hear, because she's watching on her phone, so if she can hear the audio, that's great. That's a good sign that you guys can hear it as well. So another uh, lobby, uh, this was a male disembodied voice. Again, not an EVP and AVP because we heard it. I heard it at the time. Now, there was a security guard that worked there by the name of Chris. So you hear the librarian talking about Chris in this clip. And then there's a male vocalization that comes through and says someone's name. So I'll go ahead and play it. And then we can talk more about it. He lying behind Chris and she thought he was helping her last minute and she told yeah. Chris to go look and they both went out and there was nobody. Did you see your hair was on it? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But too. let's let's just review that footage and let's just, to, for clarification. Wait, yeah. there's no question? I just heard a man. Hello? Hello? Sorry to interrupt. Came from down there and it almost, it sounded like, hey. Kind of like that. Can you come out and talk to us? Be behind Chris, and she thought yeah. he was helping her last minute, and she told yeah. Chris to go look, and they both went out, and there was nobody. Last minute, and she told yeah. Chris to go look, and they both. Last minute, and she told yeah. Chris to go look, and they both. Last minute, and she told yeah. Chris to go look, and they both. So after she says last minute, you hear what sounds like a male vocalization coming through that we all agree that it's saying Chris. That's the name of the security guard. So this shows an intelligent sort of interaction. I'll play it one more time. Not the whole clip, but just the, whoops, not the whole clip, but just the part where you can hear um, the uh, fire, the the anomaly being said. Lying behind Chris, and she thought he was helping her last minute, and she told Chris to go look, and they both okay. went out. Nobody. So that's interesting. So we got that again down at the beginning of the investigation. Now, uh, the second one, uh, or it's not the second one, hello, it's the fourth one. This is actually an ITC instrumental transcommunication clip. So we were using uh, just an old, uh, Allie's old Radio Shack hack device. So it, well, I wasn't using my PSB7 or PSB11 device. We were using Allie's Radio Shack hack device, which is 
captured uh, some amazing ITC results. Very picky with ITC because it's very subjective. You have to be very meticulous at, at reviewing it. And some things that we look for just in, in, in EVP as well is clarity. Is there historical relevance? Is there is there any sort of like uh, intelligence or any sort of like in, in, in the result, in the in the responses that are being said, is does it correlate to what we're talking about? Things like that. So that's what we look for. So uh, we were talking about um, the question we were asking. You know, are, are something about inside or outside of the building? And then uh, we say thank you, and someone responds with two words. And I'll go ahead and play that right now because it's it's fairly obvious. Can you tell us was the sound from inside the building or outside the building? I thought I heard in. I thought I heard him too. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so you hear Allie, so you hear me say thank you, and then there's a male vocalization that comes through and says you're welcome, and then I say you're welcome as a way to demonstrate that I heard that being said. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, hopefully that was heard because uh, uh, I know the static can make it a little bit difficult for some people. Very interesting. We have many more from the library, one of which is, is it's a little bit too faint to play, but I'll talk about it. And this, um, the, the You're Welcome one uh, was captured down in the downstairs, downstairs stacked area. This one that I'm about to mention now was also captured in that area. So we were asking questions of, you know, what types of books do you like? Uh, what types of themes and plots do you like? And I asked, do you prefer fiction or nonfiction? And this was heard. I heard it with my ears. And someone responded with, for me, it's fiction. And that was actually captured. It's kind of, uh, it's not enunciated that well, but you can make out the four words that were being said. And then you hear me say, wow, I thought I heard someone say for me, it's fiction. So phenomenal uh, evidence there, lots of great personal experiences. Now, some people prefer to get more, you know, objective data, something that they can actually show, like a like an audio file or a photo that actually has something substantial. That's great, but I consider personal experiences, even though they're they're not something that you can readily, you know, show as proof. No, no there's no proof of the paranormal. You know what I mean? Something tangible for someone to hear or see. You know, I I consider these personal experiences just as important because they help to tell a story, right? They help to uh, kind of give people an idea of what's going on, especially when you can have an experience that matches what others have had. So I, I really do emphasize putting these personal experiences, putting any intuitive experiences that are backed up by evidence, backed up by, um, you know, personal encounters, put that in your case report, be descriptive about that, because that does help to tell a story of what's going on. Okay, so let's move. And again, here we are at a half hour. So I don't know if I'm going to get through all of them, but I'll try. Star of India, iconic iconic historical location, part of the Maritime Museum of San Diego, lots of vessels there. The other one that a lot of people are familiar with is uh, the Berkeley ferry boat, which we, I think I, I included in um, the first episode of this series. So Star of India, uh, one of the most haunted ships on the West Coast, and I would argue 
pretty much nationally. Uh, fantastic, fantastic vessels. So toward the end of the 19th century, thousands of people emigrated from the British Isles. So it's the oldest iron-hulled merchant ship and part of, like I said, the MMSD, the Maritime Museum of San Diego. It was constructed on the Isle of Man, launched on November 14th, 1863, uh, as the U-E-T-E-R-P-E. It was renamed the Star of India, and I'll get to that later. So uh, during the Trans-Pacific Trade, 1871 to 1898, it circumnavigated the globe 21 times. And it's the, like I said, the largest iron-hulled merchant ship currently afloat. So it does still sail the harbor. Not every day they do special events with it. Uh, so two stops in San Francisco during the, the circumnavigating the globe. It encountered many near-death disasters. People died on board. Um, including one of her captains, William John Story, from Tropical Fever. Uh, the Alaska pa uh, Packers Association uh, took charge of it, and for Alaskan cannery, salmon cannery services from 1902 to 1923, it was involved in the lumber trade from 1898 to 1900, and then it officially became an American ship in 1900. So it was renamed the Star of India, when the Packers picked up four vessels from Corey's Irish Stars. And so those names were the Star of Bengal, the Star of Italy, the Star of France, and the Star of Russia. They named the Uterp, the Star of India, for its, for its work in the Indian trade. Okay, so that's how she got that second name. So James Wood Cough Roth, I believe is his name, bought the Star of India and handed her over to the Zoological Society of San Diego in 1926. And then from there, it went on to the MMSD Maritime Museum of San Diego. It was relaunched into San Diego Bay on July 4th, 1976. So phenomenal, phenomenal vessel, lots of history. The paranormal claims here abound, uh, one of which is, and I do have an EVP to share that may very well be the first person I'm going to discuss here. So he was a stowaway, a very young stowaway by the name of John Campbell in 1884. He was found on the vessel, was discovered and put to work. Tragically, he was working on the mass one day, fell, broke two of his legs and died three days later after suffering a lot of pain. Okay. So the EVP that um, I'll play, actually I'll play it now just to, kind of keep it in sequence very well could be him and you'll see why when I play it now I will admit that I should have edited this clip a little bit better because it's very choppy but you can hear definitely hear what's being said so this was actually captured during setup so we were it was about five of us and we were in the on deck in the captain's quarters and we were setting up our, our equipment for the night so we had recorders running and so you can kind of hear us in the background talking, but there is a, 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 an EVP of what sounds like a younger male vocalization that says two words, and I'll go ahead and play it now. It's pretty obvious. Here we go. So what you're hearing there, and again, I should have edited a little bit better. It's very quick and I should have had more time before it, more time after it. Um, but that's fine. That's, this was captured like 12 years ago. I've had more experience now. So you hear what sounds like, help me, help me, 
that would make sense for John Campbell. Is it him? I don't know. Very well could be. It could be a disembodied or excuse me, a residual type of capture, or it could be an intelligent. It's hard to say. Another horrible, tragic story, and I've been in this area, and it's very hard as an empath to, to be in this area, is the anchor chain locker. So a Chinese crewman was inside one day. There was a crewman above him who wanted to raise the anchor, which would cause the chain to fill up in that room. So this, this crewman above started the machinery to raise the anchor. So the Chinese crewman was inside yelling for him to stop, but could not be heard, of course, from the noise. He was crushed, tragically, as the chain filled the storage locker. And to this day, people have heard disembodied screams. I was on an investigation one night when we thought we heard what sounded like a man literally screaming at the top of his lungs from this general area. I've been inside, and what's interesting is I've felt like a crushing sensation in my chest when I've been inside. Is that kind of, is that me expecting it just from knowing the history or was I actually sensing what he may have felt physically? It's hard to know. So as with other locations, phantom conversations, disembodied footsteps, uh, you can be on below decks and hear, you know, footsteps above, uh, um, phantom aromas in the galley, uh, kitchens, kitchen appliances moved by themselves. I know that we were in the galley one night and a pot fell off the rack by itself. Now, of course, the, the ship ebbs and flows with the tide. Could that have caused it? I don't know. Uh, possible, but just a lot of weird things happen. Uh, the tween deck and the Orlop hold shadow figures, uh, female presence has been spotted. Sounds of, of moving or g- a giggling children have been heard. Uh, we were actually down, uh, I believe it was the Orlop hold, so the very bottom. And one night we were on, oh gosh, I want to say we were on the forward side. And then, uh, and actually we were, no, we were on the aft side. And then on the forward side, we heard something like slide by itself across the floor. So of course we tried to replicate that sound. After moving different items, we were able to somewhat replicate it by moving a certain chair. And we would we slid that particular chair across the room, and it was literally the most identical sound. This is a heavy chair. Someone could argue, like, well, the ship's ebbing and flowing a little bit with the tide. That can cause the chair to move. No, this was a very, very, very heavy chair. It would take a lot of movement for uh, something to move that, something to move a chair of that weight. So, great ship. If you have not been, I urge you to go just to visit the Maritime Museum in general, just because it's so historical and it has one of the most uh, or the best uh, maritime libraries, uh, not on the Star of India. I'm actually now talking about the Berkeley, actually on the Berkeley, one of the best uh, uh, maritime libraries in the world are actually on the Berkeley, but so many different vessels, lots of history. So if you're coming out to San Diego and you want to do some paranormal investigating, I would definitely put Star of India on your list. Okay. So let's move into the cosmopolitan. Now we're moving a little bit north and we're going to Old Town San Diego. So Old Town San Diego, I mean, there's so many places there. That's where the iconic Whaley House is. 
uh, El Campo Santo Cemetery, all, you know, all kinds of historical buildings there. Pretty much the entire old town can be haunted, I would say. I mean, hello. I mean, that's there's so much history there. We've actually done uh, investigations at the Sarah Museum, which is uh, at Presidio Hill, just above Old Town. So uh, just amazing amazing places there. So the Cosmopolitan Hotel has a very expansive history. It used to be, it was originally called the Casa de Bandini, it has a 175 year history. It was uh, built originally, the building by Juan Lorenzo Bandini. He was a pioneer who settled in the area in the 1800s. So he constructed his home from 1827 to 1829. It featured eight rooms a Zagwan, if I'm pronouncing that right, quick kitchen. Uh, I think it's a Zagwan kitchen. Yeah. Two patios, corrals. And then he actually utilized Christianized Native Americans to help build his home. So there's bringing in that Native American connection as well as there's Native American connections all throughout Old Town, even in the neighboring or across the street at the Casa de Estudio, which is literally right next to the Cosmopolitan Hotel. So his home, Juan Lorenzo Bandini's home at the time, was the social center of town. And it was also the uh, headquarters for Commodore Stockton. He had three daughters, Josefa, Arcadia, and Isadora, who were known as the prettiest women in all of California. Now, many of you know that we've had a 10-plus year tenure at the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe, Isadora Bandini de Couts. And her husband, uh, Cave Johnson Couts, owned the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe, never lived there. They lived at the Rancho Guajome, but there's that connection with Isadora at the Adobe as well. And so her father was Juan Lorenzo Bandini. So Mr. Bandini sold his estate in 1859 to Albert Seeley. He was a uh, Mr. Seeley was an American stagecoach operator. He bought the home for two thousand dollars, I believe, on May first, eighteen sixty nine. He built a hotel, uh, I think, a, a stagecoach shop, and then from that, the actual Cosmopolitan Hotel debuted in eighteen sixty nine. He added uh, a second story, and it became an L shaped. Excuse me, I almost it sounded like I was going to say something very bad there. I apologize. <laughs> An L-shaped Greek revival look to it, and it had a billiards room, it had a sitting room, a saloon, a post office, and a barber shop, you name it. So then in 1888, Mr. Seeley sold the property. In 1974, the California State Parks reconstructed it to make way for the, the uh, Seeley Stable Museum, which is right next door that you can visit today. In 1900, the uh, edifice actually functioned as a canning facility for olives, and it was converted by Ackerman and Tuffley, and they ran the plant until 1919. And then in 1928, the aforementioned Cave Johnson Couts, that was Mr. Bandini's grandson, uh, obtained ownership of the property. And then I believe that was in 1930. And then it from there became a, a lavish tourist attraction. So 1950s, a couple of mo more owners here, and I'm just skimping over the history. I mean, a lot of this history comes from my book here, San Diego's Most Haunted here. A uh, really great book to write. I had a lot of fun researching the history of all these places. So 1950s, James H. and Nora Caldwell became owners of the building. And then in 1968, it was then sold to the state of California and Old Town and San Diego State Parks. Okay, so Old Town and San Diego State Parks. Has a restaurant now, a phenomenal bar. It has a hotel. Uh, we actually did an investigation back in 2010. I'm surprised we haven't been back since. 
Now, the one issue with it is because the bar and restaurant are open until I would say, I think like around one in the morning, you have to really wait to do a lot of investigating until it quiets down. So we did the bulk of ours, you know, from 2 a.m. to like like 6 a.m. in the morning. Lots of paranormal claims here, the typical apparitional sightings, feelings of being watched, cold spots, disembodied vocalizations, phantom smells. Both the spirit forms of Juan Lorenzo Bandini and his daughter Isadora have been spotted. Now, this is interesting because Allie and I have documented data more in the le- in the in the case of audio data of Isadora Bandini at the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe. Now, it's not just once or twice. This is go- going over like a ten-year period where we have significant audio evidence to suggest that Isadora is there at the Adobe or visits it from time to time. And she's also been seen at the Bandini home. So it does suggest that uh, uh, whether it's a spirit or an earthbound that they can travel and not necessarily be confined to one location. Uh, Let's see, laughing children have been heard. We captured an EVP of a little boy saying Stefan. Uh, We're not sure exactly who that may be. Uh, We were in the parlor, uh, this was like three or four in the morning, so utter silence, and we heard phantom piano music being played. Uh, So very, very interesting things. We stayed in room 11, uh, which is uh, one of the larger rooms, and a lot of us were were experiencing vertigo in there, just a lot. I mean, I I tend to, to experience vertigo a lot on investigations. I don't have an inner ear problem, it's just the way that my body, I guess, processes, you know, experiencing uh, paranormal activity. We heard shuffling in the bathroom. uh, And then the wine room downstairs is one of the hotspot areas of the entire building. It was the former Bandini kitchen. It's a very small little area, uh, like I said, called the wine room. And uh, we were doing ITC work in there and we did get the name Isadora coming through. We got the name kitchen coming through, but uh, interestingly, and we have a few couple more minutes before break. So I'll go ahead and play this. Uh, We captured native American chanting on our ITC device. Now we were on AM mode. So it's very likely that somehow the device stopped scanning on a radio station that had Native American chanting. That's probably what happened. You actually have to push a button in order to stop it scanning, but maybe it was a glitch and it stopped scanning. But the fact, now what I'm alluding to here is the synchronicity of all this. The fact that it stopped scanning on Native American chanting is unbelievable. I mean, you have the the Native American symbolism, you have the Native American history being brought in So for a device like that to stop scanning, like I said, most likely on an AM radio station on Native American chanting, you can't ignore that. That is not something you should ignore. You have to really look between the lines and and really think about synchronicity here. And so what's interesting about it is it didn't just stop like in the middle of the chant or toward the end of the chant. It stopped at the beginning of the chant. Now, what's interesting is we researched it. We actually uh, had a Native American, we had a, I think a shaman, this was many years ago, we had a shaman listen to it, but then we had, we consulted uh, a professor actually who knows a lot about the Native American history of Southern California. He 
recognized it as of, I think he uh, said, if I'm, I don't know if it's, if it's in our notes, I think Kumeyaay, it was some sort of really famous Kumeyaay chant. So let me go ahead and play it. Now you're going to hear one of the investigators go <gasps> like that because we were all shocked at this. This is not something that you expect. And then you hear me in the background going, oh God, oh geez, that's us. What you're focusing on now is the actual chanting. So I'm going to go ahead and play that now. One more time. So you hear me, you hear one of us going, <gasps> and then you hear me in the back going, oh, geez, oh, God, because, I mean, to this day, I mean, I'll, I'll play this during presentations. And people's mouths will just be dropped open. It's incredible. So with that, let's take our second break. You're, of course, tuning into the Afterlife Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Strickland. We will be right back. Meet Nicole Strickland, one of the leading San Diego paranormal researchers. Nicole offers a gentle and humble approach to working with spirit energies. Being the founder of the San Diego Paranormal Research Society, Nicole is no stranger to the unknown. Due to Nicole's vast knowledge of the paranormal, she is widely sought after for speaking engagements on topics like children of the paranormal, paranormal investigation 101 and 102, history of spiritualism, and more. Not only does Nicole research the afterlife, but also writes about it, and is the author of several books pertaining to the paranormal and its history. She has appeared on television shows like My Ghost Story, Travel Channel's Famously Afraid, Good Morning San Diego, and more. Have a conference or event coming up? Contact Nicole on her website, authornicolestrickland.com. That's authornicolestrickland.com. Forty-seven minutes past the hour here on WLTKDB.com. You're tuning into the Afterlife Chronicles. I'm Nicole Strickland. So we're continuing on. Now we just covered the Cosmopolitan Hotel uh, before the break and the Star of India. Now we're segueing up into Anaheim where Disneyland is, folks. So Anaheim has a fantastic restaurant there called the White House Restaurant. And so it's a famous Italian restaurant. I myself am Italian. And I can tell you that the food is, mm, what do they do? They go like that. So good, right? Excellent food. So, of course, it's also uh, a 
paranormally active as a lot of restaurants are here. And so we did an investigation. Oh my goodness. I want to say it was 2000 without looking at our case notes here, 2011, I believe it was an overnight investigation of the property. Of course we had dinner first. We had to have dinner, right? Great stuff. So uh, a little bit of the history. Anaheim was founded in 1857 by 50 German Americans who lived in San Francisco. So lots of grape and lots of winemaking. And then in the 20th century, it essentially was a rural community dominated by orange groves and farmers. And so in 1909, the Anaheim White House, a national historical landmark, was skillfully crafted by the, I I'm, hope I don't butcher it, but I think it's the Doscythe. Gervais, I think is his name. The home exchanged hands from the Waterman family to Dr. Truox and his wife, Louise. Now, he was an obstetrician who uh, delivered around 3,500 babies, and they lived at the mansion for about 50 years. Then in 1981, Jim and Barbara Stovall purchased the home from them, and then almost immediately new plans were underway uh, for to restore the home as the White House restaurant. So uh, what's interesting about the chef here, and you can go, I believe it's whitehouserestaurant.com, but if you just type in White House Restaurant Anaheim, you'll find the website. In 1987, Chef Bruno Serrato, he was an Italian from San Bonifacio, I think is how you pronounce it in, in Italy, uh, Verona, actually. He took over the ownership of the Anaheim House West Restaurant which features, uh, and I prefer Northern Italian cuisine as to Southern. I'm, I have both Northern and Italian uh, in me, but I just prefer the, the Northern Italian cuisine. So he, uh, when he opened it or became the chef, it, he featured a lot of Northern Italian uh, steakhouse type of cuisine. Um, so what's interesting about him is he's done a lot for the community. He's helped uh, raise money. He's helped uh, educate on um, homelessness and, and helping the community and people that are in need and, and, and things like that. So go on the website there and read about, there's like a, a timeline there and read all about him. He's done great work. Uh, sadly in 2000, I think it was February of 2017, it suffered a fire. And so I think it was over like $2 million in damage. And so they you know, plans were underway to rebuild and all that. And so it opened up in, oh gosh, when was it? I think it was April of 2018. It opened. And so it's kind of back to, to where it was. So again, it's, it's a very, it almost looks like the White House, the, the actual White House. It's very, oh, how would I describe it? It's how oh, I'm trying to think of, of, of the architecture and the, and the, and the theme. It's very, Oh man, I'm trying to think of the word. It's very upscale. It's very comforting. There's two stories, great, great food. So paranormal wise, we were lucky to do an investigation there on the premises all night long. So a lot of rumors going on. Uh, Leslie Rule, she's an author who wrote, I forget the title of her book. I should have written it down. I apologize. She features, uh, a chapter on the White House restaurant. So, and I've met her. She's great. She's a great author and, and just a, a great person. So uh, she talks about how there was a rumor of a child that was killed by the trolley outside, but there's been no verification of that. There's a legend of a woman being murdered and dragged to the attic because people have captured EVP saying, don't drag me again. That cannot be validated. 
the doctor's presence, Dr. Truox, I believe is how you pronounce it, his presence may still be there. Now, the following EVP that I'm going to play may, now it's a childlike EVP. It sounds like it's coming from a, a boy or a girl. It sounds a little bit more male to me, but it could be a female saying, and I'll play it in a second. Now, that could line up with the the history of, of the obstetrician delivering 3,500 babies with the fact, you know, you're capturing childlike EVPs that could allude to that. Uh, let's see, uh, apparitions are spotted upstairs and downstairs, um, feelings of being watched. So, and when you think about restaurants, whoa, sorry about that. Just accidentally clicked a different EVP. When you think about restaurants, you know, people go there and they're having fun and it's lively and people are engaging with each other. That all acts like a capacitor for spiritual energies. So like a, how a battery can, you know, power an alarm clock, for example, that helps. I mean, any, any, any places with a lot of human traffic, like I said earlier, amusement parks, restaurants, uh, malls, things like that, theaters, for example, those are all great places to experience spiritual energy. And so this restaurant is no exception of, of, to that. So we had a lot of interesting experiences throughout the night, uh, shadow figure sightings, uh, not too much audio captured, more uh, visual, like fleeting visual sightings out of our peripheral vision. Uh, uh, one of our investigators saw an apparition of a woman dressed in, in, in an older type of garb upstairs. Maybe that could be uh, the obstetrician's wife, perhaps. Who knows? So what's interesting is I have this EVP here. Now, this is an EVP because it was not heard at the time but it was captured during setup. So we had a recorder, more than one. This was my recorder or one of my recorders actually going downstairs in the entryway. And we had, I had it going when we were starting to set up and take our equipment out and all of that. And you hear what sounds like a child asking a question. And then right after that, you hear a man potentially respond to that child. So I'll go ahead and play it and then we can talk more about it. Oops, hello. <laughs> okay, so what we hear in that is, Mommy, I want to go play. And then someone else comes through and says, You either you did or you can so i'll go ahead and play it again okay so you hear us talking and 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 wrestling about getting our equipment out in the background but you're hearing what sounds like mommy i want to go play and then someone saying you did or you can so very interesting clip there evp electronic voice phenomena not heard at the time uh phenomenal stuff here i like doing this series so i'm going to be doing a third one here uh in the months to come i might have ali join us next time uh she couldn't make it uh tonight so uh Anyways, this has been great. I know we have a few more minutes left in the show. Of course, it will be archived, of course, on afterlifechronicles.podbean.com and anywhere uh, 
uh, radio shows and podcasts can be found. Spotify, you know, all of those, Google Play, you name it. So I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. Next week, I'm going solo again, and I'm going to be doing the history of spiritualism. And then on the 10th, I have Mary Bethune and Linda Myers uh, joining me. We're going to do a roundtable discussion on just uh, paranormal research investigation. We haven't really finalized the topics yet. And like I said earlier, oh, the 17th, I'll be joining my friends Tanya and Joy Medea on their show into the outer realms right before they come on my show. And we did that back in May. So it's kind of interesting. It's a flip flip. So really cool. So they're going to be joining me on the 17th. And then uh, we have, like I said earlier at the beginning of the show, lots of great guests coming up uh, in uh, the end of February and March and onward, uh, both on the afterlife chronicles and on haunted voices radio, which airs of course, Tuesday night, same time slot. 6 Pacific, 8 Central, 9 Eastern. So again, like I said, I always say that. Like I said, I probably said it like 15 times tonight. Hello. Oh, well, you know, it's just one of my phrases I like to say. What can I say? Anyways, all right. Have a great weekend, guys. I can't believe it's almost the end of January. We're going to be moving into February. But anyways, have a great weekend. And we will see you next week, next Thursday night here at 6 Pacific, 8 Central, 9 Eastern. Bye, guys.